0: Welcome to the Liquid Church Podcast, a place where you can hear the timeless truth of God's Word in a way that's culturally relevant and cutting edge. We hope you'll discover how God's story relates to your own and that you will leave feeling encouraged. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the message. I was talking to a good friend of mine and he was sharing with me last week that he was in a business meeting the other day with some of his clients and they were waiting for one more person to come into the meeting. Now, my friend is a musician. He has his own business. And the meeting that he was in had some of his clients. They are famous people. They're all in the music business. Think about their singers, producers, radio personalities. And after a while, the person that they're waiting for finally comes in. And my friend is friends with this person. So when the guy finally shows up, he immediately notices he's not alone. He's with a woman that's not his wife. And he can tell that the woman isn't just some kind of colleague, but because of the way that she was holding on to my friend's friend, gave my friend some vibes. Like, I think these guys are like together, together. And sure enough, the guy turns to my friend, winks at him and says, we're all good. Right, bro? We're bros. AKA, you won't say anything to my wife, right? And my friend was telling me this. And so I asked him, what'd you do? Like, what'd you say to him? And he said, well, I had really two choices. I could either tell him, yeah, man, all good. You do you. Or actually tell him, no, man, that's not cool and we're not okay. I wonder, have you ever bought into a you do you attitude? If you don't know what that means, you do you is the cool kids version of just be yourself. Nowadays, it's actually used to tell someone, you can do whatever you want, no judgment from me. I may not agree with you or your values, but you do you. I ain't stopping you. Now, to be honest, I can't think of anything that better describes our culture right now than you do you. In fact, right now, culture would like you to believe that your life is based solely on you that you are the main character of your life and not just any character, oh no. You are the hero of your own story. You, 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 it is all about you. And that means your happiness also depends solely on yourself and definitely on your heroism. So you do you because I'm gonna do me and as long as you doing you doesn't infringe on the way that I do me, then maybe we can both keep doing us in ways that are respectful and authentic. Now, in theory, that sounds great, right? Like, it sounds like a very reasonable approach to life. You're like your own brand of Switzerland. I mean, if it makes people happy and it doesn't hurt anybody, who are you to say anything, right? Right? In reality, though, it's a very narcissistic approach to life because it puts the self, in other words, our flesh and all its sinful desires at the forefront of our goals in life. Uh, Recently, the New York Times published an opinion titled how you do you perfectly captures our narcissistic culture. And basically what the article says is that this phrase is giving people permission to grow their narcissism because it gives people permission to remove anything that doesn't make them feel good. You do you, while simultaneously also absolving them from any wrongdoing. And I'm going to do me. Now, if you ask me, the phrase you do you actually serves as a kind of a funhouse mirror of our culture. You guys know those funhouse mirrors where everyone looks distorted. They're typically like in a carnival or a circus. In fact, our family went to Washington, D.C. for spring break, and we took a picture in front of a funhouse mirror. And you can see that we look very weird. We look really short, even though we are really short. (laughs) We look shorter. Uh, Our feet are here, all weird, and it makes us look very distorted. That's what You Do You does. It distorts the truth because it makes people believe that the ultimate purpose in life is to be happy. It's to do anything that feels right and feels good, no matter the consequences. I mean, think about it, church. We live in a world where the love of self is the highest value. I mean, selfies have become the dominant art form. We overshare, pathologically, I would say, our lives on social media. And it's why we want to be rewarded for following our hearts, being true to ourselves, and being the heroes of our own story. There's so many issues right now that pivot on the you-do-you attitude. Say you're a man, but you feel like a woman. You do you. He is now a she. Or take abortion? What right does God or government have to say anything? It's my body, my choice. You do you. But you want to go out with a married man? You do you, boo-boo. You deserve true love. Now listen to me. I realize everyone just took a deep breath with those examples. And maybe some of you are already canceling me in your mind. Please don't worry. My point is not to unpack any of these issues today, which, by the way, are more biblical than they are political. But I do want to expose the underlying attitude that drives some of our self-centered behaviors. And I think the reason why you do you has become so mainstream is because we live in a very relativistic culture. You guys know what relativism is? Relativism is the belief that, That everything is relative. It's subject to your interpretation and to your narrative. In other words, there is no absolute truth. I mean, we hear this all the time in culture today, right? Well, that may be true to you, but it's not true to me. Well, that's your truth, but I have a different truth. Or you live your truth, and I'm going to live my truth. And there's no such thing as absolute truth. So I'm going to do me, and you do you. Here's the problem, the fundamental problem. Without an anchor belief in absolute truth, the truth is defined by whatever makes you happy. And when the bottom line is your happiness, then happiness actually becomes the standard by which you judge your actions. If it makes you happy, it must be good. If it doesn't make you happy, it must be bad. I know everyone thinks that this is wrong, but it feels so right. So I'm going to do me, and you do you, because you are the hero of your own story, and I am the hero in mine. Now, here's the problem. You do you may be the world's gospel, but it's stuff Jesus never said, and that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about what did Jesus say and didn't say about happiness, and this is important, because if I know anything to be true of all of us here today is that we all want to be happy, right? Right? I mean, last I checked, nobody says my goal in life is to be miserable. So we're actually going to look at what Jesus didn't say so that we can find the true power of what he did say. And to do that, I want to invite you to open up your Bible to 1 John chapter 2. This is the disciple John who's actually writing to a group of believers who were shocking, feeling confused, and they were being deceived By false teachings, any resemblance to modern day life is a coincidence, okay? Now look at what he wrote. Do not love the what church? World or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Now, I just want to acknowledge this verse is way easier to read than it is to live out, right? I mean, we can see the world and everything in it. And the world, ah, it offers us what our flesh wants. And that's why John makes three distinctions. First, John talks about the lust of the flesh. You guys know what that is? It is everything that tastes and feels good. I mean, think about it, church. Sin looks fun. In fact, raise your hand or type it in the chat if you'd agree with me that sin looks fun. You may not want to admit that in church. You're like, I don't want lightning to strike me. But sin, ah, sin can be fun. In fact, Hebrews describes the fleeting pleasures of sin. It's pleasurable. For a little while, sin can be fun. And guess what? If you don't think it's fun, then you didn't do it right, all right? Or worse, you're actually lying and you're sinning in church right now. You don't believe me? I want you to think about the last time that you came home completely drained from work. You were busted up and beat up. And all you want to do is you just want to lay on the couch. You just want to have like that second or even third glass of wine. And all you want to do is watch Bridgerton on Netflix. It's a surrender to the pleasures of the flesh. A little white flag that our flesh is waving. That means we have given in to what we want. That's what this means. Then there's the lust of the eyes. Now, that's everything that we don't have, that if we could just have it, we would be happy. Take Instagram, for example, right? I mean, that whole app is a lust for the eyes. I don't know about you, but I go on Instagram, and three minutes in, I'm like, I want my house to look that beautiful. I want to be that fit and slender, and I want my clothes to be that cute. By the way, that's the one that I struggle with, church every friday without fail one of my favorite clothing brands does a fashion friday live with my fashion bff now she doesn't know that she's my fashion bff but she is and she tries on all their new clothes and all their new shoes and all the accessories and you know what she does She looks at me in the camera, right in the eye, and she promises I would look cute in all of these clothes. And you know what? I actually agree with her. I think I would look cute. And you know how easy it is to click that little button and get everything that I want, budget be darned? It's too easy. Because I know these cute shoes, they want to come home with me. And after all, who am I to deny them? You do you, Kyra lust of the eyes. And then there's the pride of life. Ah, now that's everything that appeals to our arrogance and our pride. We want to be elevated in stature. We want to be number one. So at this point, we don't even struggle with the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes. We've actually given in because you know what? We believe we deserve all those things. And that's why it's so hard to renounce the world because we see the world and everything in it, but we can't see God. And when given the option to choose between what you see and what you don't see, the former is always much easier than the latter. So what does it mean for us to not love this world? Well, church, First, the first thing I want you to know is that the term world is not referring to planet Earth. I think you already got that, right? What John is referring to is the fallen, man-centered system of our way of life. In other words, John is giving every Christian a command. It's not a suggestion. It's an instruction. They are to not love the world or anything in it. Now, why does he say that? It's because John knows we can actually we're fickle people we can toggle back and forth from a loving dependence on the father where we're singing "Jira, you are enough and then the next day we're like in a carnal reliance on the things of this world in other words we can be drawn away from a life where christ reigns in our life to a fleshly existence where King self is on the throne of our hearts. Like, I don't know about you, but when Queen Kyra is in power and in charge, Ooh, I love me some planet earth. And this is the problem that our culture is facing right now. We live in a world where you think your individual needs are preeminent. They go above anything and everyone else. And no one can tell you who you are. And only you have the power to decide the truth for yourself, to actually look inside of yourself and come up with your truth. And once you do that, you become a self-actualized individual because you are living truth to who you know yourself to be. And what you know the truth to be because you found it on the inside of you. That is the modern self that people have embraced and it's shaping not just our culture, but our churches too. And guys, it sounds good in theory, but it's not the gospel. In fact, there's a book called Habits of the Heart, where they tackle the rise of expressive individualism in culture and how the therapeutic self has actually invaded the church. And in this book, they interview a woman named Sheila, and they ask her, Sheila, what is your religion? And Sheila goes on to explain that how she looked for truth inside of herself. She says, You know, I listen to that little voice inside of my heart for what's right and what's wrong. And I even have a name for my religion, I call it Sheilaism. She said, I worship that little voice in my heart that tells me what to do, and I live in accordance with that, and that's my religion, Sheilaism. And there's only one follower in my religion, and that's me, church. Now, that sounds silly at first. Can you imagine, right, if I said, you know what? I think you need to follow the little voice in my heart, Jose, because I'm starting a religion called Kyraanity.'" It sounds kind of silly, right? But man, it's seductive. Because when someone says, I've looked into my heart and I know the truth, they seem like the kind of person who we should be too. They feel or look very self-assured. Remember what Shakespeare said, to thine own self be what church? True. That's the kind of person you want to be, right? The problem is, You're literally elevating yourself to the place of God. You are sitting in his throne as the arbiter of right and wrong. And friends, that is not funny. That is actually trying to take the place of God. And you know what? It's what got Satan kicked out of heaven in the first place. That is the original sin of pride. Now, the truth is, many of us fall prey to that kind of therapeutic self-talk far more than we even realize You pretend that little voice inside of you is the Holy Spirit when in reality, it's the you spirit. And it will lead you down to a path believing that the ultimate goal in your life is to do whatever makes you happy. So understand, not loving the world doesn't actually mean you have to hate yourself or your possessions or your world. No, what John is referring to is about your attitude, And your motives. Look at his words again. He says, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. In other words, church, to love the world means you live ruled by lust, what I like and what I want. And you live ruled by pride, what I think I deserve. You're motivated by selfishness, by greed, by pride. You crave things that you don't have and you're prideful in things you do have. And at the root of all of it is that what you do is motivated by your desire to feel happy at all times. Now, in the past, I've heard of Christians who've made this verse about their behavior. So when John says, do not love the world or anything in it, They think all we need to do is a list of do's and don'ts. I call them the filthy five. Drinking, dancing, debauchery, depravity, and decadence. And if we avoid all of that, clearly, I don't love the world. The problem with that kind of thinking is that it sounds right, but it's plain wrong. Because John isn't concerned about what you do or where you go. It's not about behavior management. What John is concerned with is why do you do what you do? Why is it that you want to do you instead of you doing God? So when I was writing this message, I couldn't help but wonder, why is it that so many of us, including me, are so easily tempted to buy into a you-do-you mentality, to, to actually give in to the lust of our flesh, and to the prides of our life. It's because sin promises satisfaction at the cost of dissatisfaction to God. And eventually, it brings suffering to you. Now, that's what my friend's friend realized last week at that meeting that I was telling you about. When he turned around in front of everybody else in the meeting and he winked at my friend and he said, we're good, right? We're bros. You know what he was doing? What he was looking for in that moment was for my friend to affirm his life's choices, to give him a pass that being with someone other than his wife isn't a big deal. Because if he's the hero of his own story, then he needs to do whatever it is that's going to make him happy, even if that's being with someone who isn't his wife. Now, according to my friend, he said, Kyra, there was like a collective intake of breath. (gasps) How is he going to respond? What is he going to do? Everybody was silent. But my friend is a believer. And he wasn't about to violate his own integrity and his beliefs. So you know what he told him? He said, no, man, we're not good. Don't get me wrong. I still love you. And you're still my friend. But I'm not going to sit here and wink, wink, and affirm something that you know is not right. So no, we're not all good. And we're going to move on to our meeting, and we're going to start it right now. But in this moment, I can't give you a pass, and I can't give you a pat on the back, and pretend like what you're doing isn't wrong. And as my friend was telling me the story, I was like, man, how'd that guy end up in there? Like, how'd that guy end up in a meeting full of his peers with a woman who wasn't his wife, with a friend who spoke the truth that he didn't want to hear. It's because sin promises satisfaction at the cost of dissatisfaction to God. And eventually, church, it brings suffering to you. Sin entices It lures you in with the promise of pleasures forevermore. But pleasures are fleeting. And eventually, not only have you disobeyed God, but it also causes you enormous pain. So why do so many of us end up in similar places today? Like you may not struggle with an extramarital affair, but if you think about it, I know there are areas in your life where you too are giving in into the fleeting pleasures of a you-do-you mentality. I don't know, maybe you are friends with someone Who doesn't approve of the moral choices that you're making you're like my friend who had a friend uh, with who was dating a woman who wasn't his wife so you decide that you're gonna brand that person a hater because after all haters gonna hate right the problem is that when you label people as haters your sins can be absolved because it's not you it's them so you do you boo boo you follow your heart And if people aren't going to support you, then they don't deserve to be in your life. So adios. Or maybe here's one that hits a little too close to home. Look, I understand. This generation believes it's my body, my choice. So you do you. But actually, that's not biblical. It's God's body. So it's God's choice. And I know nobody likes to hear that, much less write it on a sign and certainly no one wants to write that hashtag on your Instagram. But the reality is, it is God's body and God's choice. You remember John's words? He said, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. In other words, church, if you're letting your flesh rule you, you are giving in to the things that come from the world and not from God. And that's a shame because you were created to be so much more. In fact, I want to read to you what the disciple Peter wrote that reminds us of who we are. He said, you are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. If you're buying into a you-do-you mentality, it's because you think that happiness and holiness are at odds. Deep down, maybe because of your distorted views of what Christ represents, of who he is, and what he teaches, you tend to believe. You can either be happy or you can be holy, but you can't be both. You actually believe. You choose holiness. You're destined for a life where you're going to be miserable forever and ever. Why do I know this? Why do I say this? Because it's what I believed when I was growing up. I subscribed to the Filthy Five, okay? I didn't drink. Dancing was sort of frowned upon. I certainly didn't gamble. I didn't do porn. There was no debauchery, no depravity for me. My family believed in modesty, so I also dressed very conservatively. And when I was in high school, man, the allure of the world, woo, it began singing the siren song. I wanted to be like everybody else. I wanted to go out to the clubs. I wanted to dance. I wanted to flirt with the boys. I wanted to wear sexy outfits and generally have a good time. And everybody, every time, somebody said to me, don't love the world or anything in the world, I'd be like, but I do love the world. I can't help it because the world is fun and church is really boring. I thought I'd be destined to a life where I would wear long skirts and I would listen to cassettes of Michael W. Smith for the rest of my life, okay? And if you don't know what a cassette is or who Michael W. is, consider yourself blessed. Or actually the good news is you can still go to heaven church, maybe barely, but you can still get in. Okay. Somehow in our distorted view, we've come to believe this lie that if we follow Jesus, we're going to be miserable. But I want you to listen to me now. And I want you to listen to me. Well, our God is not looking at you whom he loves. Down from heaven saying, for God so loved the world that he wants his children to be holy and miserable. No, our God is actually a good God. And he is a loving God. In fact, when speaking about his father, Jesus actually did say this. These are words that Jesus really did say. He said, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. Who doesn't love to spoil your kids? Come on. How much more shall your father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? So church, if you find yourself at odds, I want to be holy. I do. I want to serve God and please him. I just don't want to be unhappy. I'm going to tell you right now, you're probably looking for happiness in the wrong place. You're looking in a lower place when God designed you for a higher place. In fact, Max Lucado, he gives a great illustration that I've adapted for you today. Okay, He asked the question, would a fish ever be happy on the beach? Now I want you to visualize it. Okay, I want you to take out a fish out of the water and I want you to put the fish on the beach. And now I want you to answer the question, is the fish on the beach happy? And the answer is, anybody? No, because what is the fish doing? I think the fish is popping. I'm gonna stop now because I may fall. But um, we're trying to make the fish happy, so you know what we think? We think, well, what if we give the fish some things of this world to help the fish feel happy? What if we give the fish a pile of cash? That sounds like a good idea. Give me a pile of Benjamins. So we start making it rain. And we ask the fish, are you happy now? What's the answer, church? Anybody? No. What if, instead, we throw a party for the fish? We get all the best-looking fish out of the sea. We put them there together. And we give them some cool beats to the fish so the fish can pop, pop, pop to the beat. Is the fish happy now? No. No. What if we ask the fish, what if you take a selfie? You know, he gets a record number of likes. He hashtags fish lips, right? Everybody gets crazy with comments, the fire emoji. The fish looks good. The fish is hot. Is the fish happy now? And the answer is that the fish is never happy. Why? Because the fish was not created for the beach. So if you find yourself at odds, you want to be holy, but you don't want to be unhappy. Maybe you should lower your expectations of earth. You know why? Because you were not created for the earth nor for the things of this world. You were created by God for God to live for things that are not of this world. So those things of the world will never satisfy you. Understand holiness and happiness are not incompatible. In fact, they are very related. How come? Because holiness is the pathway to true happiness. They're not mutually exclusive. They are connected and related to each other. Guys, serving God, living for Him and His purposes, And not for the lower things of this world but actually for the higher things that are eternal that is the pathway to the true meaning in life I love how David actually describes it in the Psalms he writes this he says you will make known to me the way of life in your presence is fullness of joy in your right hand are pleasures forevermore, not the fleeting pleasures of sin, but the eternal pleasures that Jesus wants us to experience. Jesus calls us to leave the lower things of this sin-filled world and live for the things that really matter in life. So church, the next time that you feel tempted to give in to your lust and to your pride, to say, you do you and I'm going to do me, I want you to remember every temptation is an invitation To run to Christ. Can you type that in the chat? Every temptation is an invitation to run to Christ. Guys, you know what's one thing that I've started to do when I feel tempted? I was telling you earlier, when I go on Instagram on Friday, my day off, no one's in my house, and I'm looking at that fashion BFF, and I look at the cute pair of shoes, and I feel so tempted to just click by. Do you know what I do or what I've started to do? I pray the Lord's Prayer. You've heard of it, right? Jesus shared his prayer, this prayer, with his disciples. His disciples were telling Jesus, we don't really know what to pray about or how to pray. And Jesus teaches them this prayer, and it's beautiful. And I want to invite you to read the Lord's Prayer with me right now. It says this, Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You know what I like about this first right off the bat? Is that God is inviting us to call him father. Look at how the prayer starts. Our father in heaven. You know what Jesus is doing? He's pointing you to a warm and personal God who wants a relationship with you because he loves you and who also wants the best for you. So understand you don't have to be miserable in order to be holy. And just so there's no confusion, no comparison between God and earthly fathers, Jesus makes a very important distinction because he calls God our Father who's where? In heaven. He's not talking about an earthly father because Jesus wants you to know how different God the father is from any other father that you may have known. Nothing on earth satisfies like God the father. No one understands us like God the father. No one forgives like God the father and no one sets people free like God the father. Then he goes on to say, your kingdom come father your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Guys, this is the opposite of a you-do-you you mentality. It's you praying and saying, Father, not my will, not my lust, not my flesh, not my pride, not my sinful desires, but your will. What you want for me, what your plans and purposes are for me. And then he goes on to say, give us today our daily bread. So understand the world may want you to believe it's all about what looks good and tastes good. And if you have all of that, you will be happy. But saying to Jesus, give us today our daily bread is a reminder. It's an acknowledgement. Only Jesus can give me everything that I want and everything that I need. And then he goes on to say, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. We may find temporary comfort in positive thinking, in pithy little statements like you are the hero of your own story. You do you, boo. But I want you to understand nothing wipes a slate clean like a God who has the power to remove sin as far as the east is from the west. And then here's the last key piece. How Jesus finishes the Lord's Prayer. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So church, the next time that you face a real temptation to do you, at the expense of dismissing God, I want you to practice this prayer. Only God can give you the strength to resist the enemy and give in to the flesh. Only Jesus can actually give you the power that you need to pray this prayer and give you a way out that's gonna help you achieve victory over sin and the evil one. So the next time that you feel trapped or you feel tempted to give in to your flesh, to your lust, to your pride, to enthrone yourself, Queen Kyra, in your heart instead of King Jesus... The next time you want you feel tempted to do you, I want you to remember every temptation is an invitation to run to Christ. He will provide a way out. You pray the Lord's prayer and you know that his grace will be enough for you to find a way out. Why? Cuz holiness and happiness are not incompatible. They're not in competition. They complement each other. And you were created to walk in the everlasting joy that can only be found in the presence of Jesus. Amen, church? I want to invite you right now, wherever you are, whether you're home, at any of our locations, to say the Lord's Prayer with me. I'm going to put it on the screen, and we're all going to say it together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one father i thank you for this beautiful prayer that Jesus taught his followers, his children to do. And so, Lord, right now we pray that the next time that we feel at a crossroads where the world would want to deceive us into believing that it's good to get our way to fulfill our own ambitious desires, Lord, where we want to give in to the pleasures, the fleeting pleasures of what the world wants to offer us, Lord. I thank you that we have a prayer that reminds us how to turn our eyes away from the world and fix them on Jesus. I pray that you would give us the strength to overcome. And I thank you for your reminder that it's not about what we want, but actually about surrendering our will to the Father's will. We thank you, Jesus, for your truth. We love you, and we pray all this in your Son's name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you want to check out Liquid Church for a weekend service, small group, outreach, or clean water trip, you can find out more about us online at liquidchurch.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, go ahead and subscribe or share it with your friends. Thanks again for listening.